You're listening to the Covenant Original Series, The Mountains Are Calm. What could and what would happen if the Church of Jesus actually made disciples? What would that look like in our world today? And how would it change us in the process? Let's get to work. It says this, Now great crowds accompanied Jesus, accompanied Jesus, and he turned to them and said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters and, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my, what's that word there? Disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my, read it again, my what? My disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Verse 31, or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be, read this with me, cannot be my disciple. Now watch here. Look at what he says, and look who he's speaking to. Salt is good. By the way, I think we'd all agree with that. It makes everything better. Salt is good. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? And then he really leans in, and he says this. It is of no use, either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Would you pray with me? Father, this morning give us ears to hear what you have to teach us from your word. As we talk about what it means to not only be a disciple, but what it looks like to make disciples. Father, I pray that you would not just be present, but be active and moving. May we do our part in being the church. May we be obedient to what you call us to do. Holy Spirit, may you convict our hearts. May you change our community. Change even our perception of what it means to follow you. Where there is sin, may we repent. Where there are bad habits, may we change correct. May we course correct. Meet us here today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So today I, I, I want to I want to bring to you something today that I don't know if I would call it a, a sermon or a message as much as it's just something that's very strong on, on my heart. And I, I want you to understand that whether it's myself or Pastor Seth or Pastor David, anyone who is speaking up here and, and sharing God's word, and it's taken very seriously. And there's a reason for that. As a, as a pastor, I want you to understand that Scripture says that one day I have to give an account for how we've stewarded, handled what God has given to us. 
namely his church. That, by the way, scares me to death. I want you to know that, right? But because of passages that talk about that, there are certain things that we must discuss as a family. Is that fair? Because I love you, because I care about you, because I care about us and what God is building and shaping here. And and so sometimes for us as a church, it takes us a little bit longer to get to where we want to go. Sometimes as a church, it just just takes us a a, a little extra cycle, right? And and so one of the things I want to make sure and just kind of, you know, give you in advance is um, when I'm going to try and withdraw a little bit of relational currency, okay? And so today, I, I want you to understand that while I do love you and care about you, and God is doing amazing things in and through this community, and I'm proud of you, and I'm proud of us, I am going to try and pull a little bit of relational currency from us today, okay? And, it, and it's not really as much, I don't think, myself as I think that the word of God is, is going to challenge us. I know it challenges me on, on my understanding of discipleship, okay? So I just want you to know that up front. Also, I do want to challenge you to take some notes, write things down. We worship in spirit and in truth. We take those truths and we plug into our small groups, we call them Sea Life. We're going to grow in relationships there and, and what we know there and, and our knowledge and make some disciples. It's going to be a good time. Um, really quick recap. This has been a good series, I feel like. I don't know if you have or not uh, felt that way. I've really felt and seen some really great practical change and had some great conversations. In fact, let's just do a really quick recap. In week one, this is the final week, and in week one, we talked about this equation for a, for a healthy church, right? It begins with Christology, our understanding of Christ, moves to missiology, our understanding of the mission, and then that determines our ecclesiology, which is our understanding or maybe even our, the shape of our church. We made the statement that it must start with Christ. Our ecclesiology, who we are, what we look like, what we sound like, where we go, all that kind of stuff, has to be defined first by Christ, our Christology. So a Christology um, that is out of sequence or out of order is going to result in a poor ecclesiology. The problem is we've said that it seems today that most or many churches are beginning with ecclesiology. What do we want to look like, sound like, smell like, feel like first? And then we created Jesus to squeeze into that, right? And then missions is not something we are. It's a program that we support or a place that we go to, okay? And so that's what we talked about week one. In fact, we said this statement that it's not the church that has a mission, but rather the God of mission that has a church in the world, okay? And so long before the church, there was a mission. Long before the mission, there was Christ, Christology determines missiology, determines ecclesiology. That was week one. Week two, we discussed consumerism within our own walls. And we kind of came to this tough truth to where it's like, ah, we're all consumers, (laughs) right? Like we're brought up into it. We just, we're affected by it. We are. The question is not, are we consumers? The better question is, where am I applying my consumerism as it pertains to my faith? Where? Where? Am I expecting for Christ just to serve me? Am I expecting for the body to serve me, be about me, meet my preferences? And we said that the big statement of that day is that we don't follow Jesus because of what he can do for us, but we follow Jesus because of what he has done for us. We don't follow Jesus because he can make us rich. We follow Jesus because he has died and risen again. We don't follow Jesus because he 
can get us a nice SUV. We follow Jesus because he has made a way for us to get to God. All right, I got to move on or I could preach that for a while. So we talked about that. We also stated that Jesus didn't die to make us moral. He died to make us holy. So the goal is not morality, although we should be moral people. The goal is holiness. You can be moral and not be holy, okay? Last week, then, we talked about getting a healthy, biblically-based Christology, one that is theologically accurate and not just ideological or cultural in nature. Basically to say Jesus isn't a genie, right? It's like you rub your Bible and Jesus pops out, you know, arms crossed. What can I do for you, master? That's not how it works with Jesus. Jesus equally is not Santa. I know he sees you when you're sleeping and knows when you're awake, but that doesn't mean that if you are good, he's going to bring you uh, uh, the gift that you wanted, and if you're bad, he's going to give you a lump of coal. That is not the gospel. That is not Jesus. And so we have to get a healthy view, a biblically accurate view of Jesus. And so Jesus was and is the true incarnational God with flesh and bone, 100% human, 100% God, son of God, Messiah, who died for us, who rose again. And the only hope that we have, the only way to God is through Jesus Christ. That is what we talked about last week. And as we walk through week one, and as we walk through week two, and then as we finished up last week three, something became increasingly and then glaringly obvious to me, and maybe to you as well. And this is where I wanted for us to focus today, right? Because in light of what we've learned this month, Something became very obvious. It's like this. There's a way that we could go about doing church and not actually have it be the church that God called us to, to, to be. Would you agree with that? Yes? Okay. There's a way that we could sing worship songs that sound great, look great, melodically are beautiful. And they're not like wrong or sinful, but they might not simply be about God. Have you noticed that? That could be about us or, or maybe... Maybe what God does for us or what he can do for us or the destiny that's promised to us or the, the breakthrough that's coming around the corner. So catch this now. There's a way that we could go to a church and have it really not be church. There's a way that we could sing worship songs and really not have it be worship. As we discovered last week, there's a way that we could talk about Jesus who's not actually a, the biblical Jesus. There's a way that we could talk about a Jesus and present a Jesus that's not biblical, a Jesus who the more you work, the more he gives. The harder you pray, the, 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 the more he loves. A Jesus that you have to convince to love you. Do, do you see what I'm saying? So get this. I started thinking about this, and it was like, okay, so there's a way that I can go to church, not really have it be church, worship, not really have it be worship, hear about Jesus, but not have it actually be Jesus. There's a way that we can hear the gospel and have it not be the gospel. You say, how does that make sense? If I decide to leave out a portion of, of the gospel, I have robbed the gospel. I can't take anything away from the gospel and have it still be the gospel. Equally, I cannot add anything to the gospel and make it the gospel. The gospel is what scripture defines it to be, which is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. When I place my faith in him, he takes my sin, and he crucifies it to the cross, and he, for and he forgives me completely. That is the gospel. Gospel means good news. That's the good news. The good news is found in that fact that because I could not get to God, he came to me. Because I couldn't earn it, do it, give enough for it, Jesus did all the work. 
That's the good news. That's the gospel. So when I take the word sin or repentance out of the word gospel or a gospel presentation to make it more palatable, it no longer remains the gospel. So there's a way. I was thinking about this. I was was just kind of thinking through this. There's a way then that I can go to a church, not really have it be a church. I can sing worship, have it not really be worship. Talk about Jesus, who is not really Jesus. Hear the gospel be presented, not really have it be the gospel. And I could get all the feels and think it's the Holy Spirit. Do you see what I'm saying? Not only that, but as we discussed in week two and three, I could have some behavior modification and think that it's God at work when simply I just stop drinking and cussing. That's a problem. That's an issue. And I want you to know it's intentional. When I look at, at, at our enemy who seeks to copy every good thing that God does, who seeks to counterfeit every perfect thing that Christ accomplishes. I see the trap, don't you? How I could go to church, how I could sing songs, how I could pray a prayer, how I could talk about Jesus, talk about a gospel, feel good, leave, and yet not truly know Jesus Christ. That's a trap. That's intentional. And these things that we've seen, they are all indicators of of a Christ follower, right? Like going to church, serving, tithing, all these things, those are all indicators. They are. But they could also just be indicators that you became a moral person. They truly could just be. Or maybe not a moral person. Maybe they're just an indicator of your religious adherence. Maybe that's what it is. But once again, our morality, although it should be above reproach, is, is not the saving factor. The saving factor is holiness. The saving factor is your belief in Jesus Christ. He died and rose again so that we could be holy, not moral. He didn't sacrifice himself on a cross so that we could have a religion. He sacrificed himself on a cross so that we could have a relationship with God through him. And so while going to church and tithing and singing and taking notes and serving and change in behavior are all good metrics in a Christ follower that can also just be good metrics of a moral person. And listen, I, I, I don't want to like, well, I do want to push you on this because I know the depth of my own depravity, okay? Let's just be honest, and I know that I will lie to myself, and I will, I will cheat myself, and I will convince, and maybe the better word is justify, right? And, and I get this question, well, Travis, how do you know that you know that you know? How do you know that you know God? And oftentimes it's left to this, like, well, by faith, brother, you know? I think we can do better than that. But oftentimes the better is pointing to these other indicators, and they are metrics. They are indicators, But as I think about this, I just can't escape the words of Jesus Christ from Matthew 7 echoing in my ears. And this is where the pastoral edge kicks in because I love you and I care about you and I have to give an account for us one day. Jesus says this in verse 21 of Matthew 7. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? 
Would I cast out demons in your name? Did we not do many mighty works in your name? And I will declare to them, I, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now, we have exegeted this passage before, but God just continues to bring it up in my mind and in my heart because I really believe that the first question shouldn't be, am I checking off the religious boxes? The first question should be, am I doing the will of God? There is a way to check off the religious boxes and not be in the center of God's will. There is a way to show up to church every week and not know Jesus. And, and, and I'm not trying to get you really to, 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 to like question like your relationship with Jesus. I, I guess really my question is, are you doing the will of God? And maybe that should answer that question. And you're like, okay, well, what's the will of God? Ah, I'm glad you asked. Thank you. Scripture tells us, it's very evident, very clear, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, it says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you. Watch it now. Watch. Don't miss this. If you blink, you will. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Other translations would say, not willing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Did you see that? I want you to know this morning, it is not God's will that any should perish without relationship with him. Does it happen? Yes. Yes. Every single day, people die and go into an existence without Christ, separated from God. Is that what God desires from our text, not opinion? No. He is not willing that any should perish. So the question must be asked, why do they? Maybe it's because we're not busy about the will of our Father. Maybe it's because we're not busy about the mission that he's called us to. The will of God is that all people should find repentance through Jesus Christ. This is why Jesus was so clear and painfully honest in Matthew 28. His final words right? Look at what he says. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Listen to me, church. I want to be very clear in saying this, and I want you to very clearly hear this. The true indicator of a Christ follower is not found in how much you give. The true indicator of a Christ follower is not found in how often you come to church. The true indicator of being a Christ follower is not how diligently you take notes. These are all great metrics, but the true, the pure, the best indicator of a Christ follower is their obedience to make disciples. Because it is truly the one thing you cannot do if you are just a moral person. If you are a moral person, you can believe in a church and give to it. You don't need the Holy Spirit to do that. 
If you are a moral person, you can show up to a church and donate your time. You don't need Jesus to do that. If you're a moral person, you can sit and take notes and be inspired by a message of hope. You don't need the Holy Spirit to do that. But if you are to perpetuate the gospel and build the kingdom of God through day in and day out discipleship, you will not only need, but you will rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. And so when it comes to us being a church, the best indicator of where we are and where we stand is discipleship. And I just, I understand that at once this is the most life-giving and most damning of all statements I could give you. It is the most life-giving because Scripture clearly shows us we have an answer. The greatest indicator of my relationship with Jesus is, am I making disciples? It's life-giving because now I know the metric. I know the fact that God's will is that nobody should perish, but that all should come to true faith through repentance, that all should follow Jesus Christ. I know the metric. It's life-giving. It means that I serve a good God, a loving God, who does not wish to see his world burn, but a good father who gives good gifts, who puts us, who sets us out on mission. That's life-giving, right? But I'll tell you why it's life-giving and it's damning. It's damning because statistically, it's the one thing that we don't do. What does that tell us? What does that point to? The only stat comparable to our poor discipleship on a national level is our giving. And our giving is double the metric to our discipleship. So you always hear about churches on a national level saying like, what's the main problem? Well, people don't give money. People don't give money, pastor, you know. And it's like 20%. Like a healthy church is like 20% of people give anything. So it's like there's 21%. Like your pastors are like giving high fives and going around and like jumping around, like you know what I mean? And yet 20% is double the percentage of Christian people who will ever share their faith. Less than 10% of any of us will ever tell another soul that we know Jesus outside these walls. Less than that will create disciples who make disciples. And if the true indicator of our relationship with Jesus Christ is our investment in discipleship and less than 10% of churched, Jesus-loving, Bible-believing people do it, that's a problem. That's a problem. And if that's the case, I have to ask you this morning, why are you here? What are you doing here? Maybe for you, you're saying, I'm, trying to, I'm seeking out truth. God bless you. I'm glad you're here. Thank you for being here. Maybe, maybe you would say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm just in need of some hope. Good. This is a place for you. But for those of us who have identified with Christ, for those of us who have been walking with Christ, what are you doing? doing here now seriously why are you here what are you what are you doing by and large we are not doing the will of the father and making disciples 
Do you know why the church continues to become increasingly irrelevant in our society? We used to think it was because of the music. We might have had a point there, by the way. I don't know. We used to think maybe it was because of the clothing or the style or the art or the, the incessant woodwork, right? But the fact of the matter is, it's not because of the music. It's not because of the locations. It's not because of the teaching style or the clothing. It's our failure to disciple. The cost of non-discipleship in the church is the irrelevance of the church. Let me just say that again. The cost of non-discipleship in the church is the irrelevance of the church. We end up putting ourselves out of business. Unbelievable. We've created a Christianity that allows us to come and see, to sing and worship, to give and serve and be happy and free, but we've left out the central teaching of Jesus, which is to go? How do you create an ecclesiology that leaves out your Christology? How do you forget the central point of why we exist? How do we call ourselves Christians but leave out the Christ? Christianity without Jesus is inevitably Christianity without discipleship. And Christianity without discipleship is always Christianity without Christ. Discipleship is not an option. Jesus said that if anyone would come after me, he must pick up his cross and follow me. And I get it. Discipleship is hard. It is. And that's why we don't do it. But it is simple. Don't, don't, don't say, I just don't, know what, I just don't know what to do. What do I do? What do I do? I'm not theologically trained. I don't, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to, I don't know. It's simple. Intentionally allow people access to your life as you walk out your journey with Jesus. That is discipleship. And you say, yeah, but I don't want them to see like my failures. No, no, no. That's a part of discipleship. So when we clean up everything and present it that way, that's not discipleship. But when we say, come, come with me, walk with me as I walk with Jesus, they get to see what your marriage looks like for real. They get to see how you parent for real. They get to see how you handle your finances for real. They get to know what kind of music you listen to and movies you watch, the things you talk about, the places you go. That's when you really open up your life and say, come look. Or as Paul says in 1 Corinthians, he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. The problem is, much of, much of us, many of us, we, we are not worth imitating because we're not imitating Christ. We're using Christ, but we're not imitating him. Do you see what I'm saying? And, and so for us as followers of Christ, we might actually say like, okay, well, I'm, I'm willing to open up my life. Okay, that's good. I just don't have people. Do you have kids? Well, yeah, that's just a little too close. No, no. Why does God give us children? Why does scripture say that children, like blessed is the man, happy is the man who has children. He is like a warrior who reaches back and his quiver is full and he launches his children out into the world. What are we launching? 
We should be launching trained up disciples, men and women who are trained warriors to do battle for the kingdom of God. And yet we are shooting out of our homes weak, faithless children who know nothing about their faith because of their parents' bad example in training them to be Christian adults. It's tough, but it's true. And we can do better. We can. We can do better. Imitate me as I imitate Christ should be the mantra of all of us. Hey, son, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And when I fail, watch how I get back up. Imitate me, son, as I imitate Christ. And when I talk disrespectfully to my wife and I have to apologize, see how I do that. Imitate me as I imitate Christ and watch how I treat people. Imitate me as I imitate Christ and watch how I talk to people. Watch how I handle our finances. Watch how I... I'm respectful to the elderly. Watch how I fill in the blank. Do you have kids? Do you have parents? Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Do you have friends? Do you have coworkers? See, the fact of the matter, when Jesus says, go and make disciples, it is better stated, as you go, as you are going, you don't have to go to Africa to make disciples. You don't have to go to England to make disciples. You can just begin making disciples right where you are today with the people you know. So why don't we do that? If only we would. And oftentimes we ask the question, what would happen? I can tell you what would happen. Read the book of Acts. How the gospel swept nations and saved millions. And as a result, 2,000 years ago, we're here talking about it. It would take place again. It could take place again. It, it's not even like, well, maybe if God would put his hand a favor. No. If we would just be obedient, God would bring our state, our nation, and our world back to him. If we would invest in one person and walk with them, and share Jesus with them, and be honest with them, it would revolutionize our city. It would. So why don't we? If only we would. And I'm, I'm done. But my issue is this. For many of us, and I, I pray to God this isn't the case, but for many of us, we will walk out of this room and say, it's a good sermon, a bad sermon. I like that sermon. I didn't like that sermon. Irrelevant. I don't care. But we will leave thinking it was just another day when it could have been a day that God began something bigger than any one of us. It could have been a day, and it still can be a day, when God begins a work in this country like we have never seen before. It can be that day. Stop praying for that day and start taking hold of that day. You say, Travis, how do I take hold of it? Make disciples. Talk about Jesus. You're talking street evangelism? No. Be a father who reads scripture. Be a mother who prays. Be a coworker who is kind. Be a brother who invites. 
be a son who loves. Talk openly about Jesus, how he has impacted your life, and let us see what God will do with that audacious believer. Father, today, would you change us and shape us? I am asking you, God, to convict our hearts. I am so extremely convicted, Father, over my lack of passion in making disciples and my lack of passion in seeing others make disciples. God, I'm so, I'm just, I'm sorry. And I'm repentant and no more, no more. Forgive us of our consumption. May we be contributors. And may we do more than lift our hands in worship. May we do more than empty out our pockets. May we do more than give our time. May we open up our lives to those around us and say, be an imitator of me as I imitate Jesus. You've made us worthy. Now may we walk in a way and in a manner that is worthy. Father, please do a work in our church today. Please, Father, I ask you, I make it my prayer. Commit it to you in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this message from Covenant Church. For more information on our ministries or to hear more messages just like this, visit us at covenantchurch.us.